Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 67, 2023's Week 2 Recap and Week 3 Preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you have always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Week 2 is in the books. Some teams are rolling, while others can't seem to put it together for four quarters. Later in the show, contributor Mark Halbach will return to share his insight on this past weekend's games as well as preview Week 3's matchups. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On February 23rd, the Seattle Sea Dragons hosted the St. Louis Battlehawks. The Battlehawks defeated the Sea Dragons 20-18. Then, on February 25th, the Vegas Vipers hosted the D.C. Defenders. The Defenders defeated the Vipers 18-6. Then, on February 26th, the Orlando Guardians hosted the San Antonio Brahmas. The Brahmas defeated the Guardians 30-12. Also, on February 26th, the Houston Roughnecks hosted the Arlington Renegades. The Roughnecks defeated the Renegades 23-14. Then, on February 27th, the XFL announced an expansive multi-year partnership with Under Armour in which Under Armour has been named a founding corporate partner of the league. Under Armour will provide resources, services, and support for XFL businesses and initiatives, including official uniform partner, official sideline apparel partner, official performance apparel partner, official youth football partner, and preferred footwear partner. Under Armour's state-of-the-art performance driving solutions and constant pursuit to empower athletes who strive for more will benefit all aspects of the league through its partnership. And industry leader in innovative, high-performance athletic apparel production, Under Armour provides all teams and staff sideline apparel, footwear, and accessories, training and practice gear, and as previously announced, game uniforms. In addition, Under Armour will work with the XFL to help support the league's youth football and grassroots initiatives, including Under the Lights Flag Football, furthering both organizations' commitment to increasing access to the sport for athletes at all levels. Under Armour will also participate in the league's hospitality offerings by hosting a fan activations to bring fans closer to the action and enhance game day experience. Under Armour has been granted rights to XFL league-wide logos, team logos, and word marks, as well as player partnership rights and XFL venue access for content development in order to support the league's digital media services. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Halbach to gain his insight on the Week 2 games and preview Week 3 matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to return to the show to discuss the XFL's Week 2 games and preview this upcoming weekend's games. 
Well, hi, Michael. It's great to be back, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking some more XFL football here. So let's uh, let's get at it. Yeah, we have another slate of games to discuss, so we'll dive right into them. We'll begin with Game One: the St. Louis Battlehawks at the Seattle Sea Dragons, with the Battlehawks winning twenty to eighteen. I'm getting a sense that the Battlehawks are sort of like that person who who's not quite a morning person. They take their time kind of getting things rolling, but once the day gets going, man, they always deliver. They're just not that, you know, they need their coffee or whatever. I'm getting a vibe. That's who these battle Hawks are, but Hey, it's only week two. Well, you know, maybe, maybe there's more to them. What are your takeaways? Well, you know, first of all, this game was pretty even, you know, I thought uh, statistically it, it ran pretty even. I thought there were some situations that were really done well and, you know, executed well as, as well as we'll talk about that. But, you know, when you talk about a team, you know, kind of whether they get out to a fast start or whether or not they can, you know, kind of make those in-game adjustments here a little bit, there's, there's kind of, you saw it both sides of it here. Seattle's gotten out to fast starts. Uh, they put some points on the board right away, gotten the ball, pushed the ball downfield. It got some things rolling. And a lot of teams and coaches, right, on the offensive side of the ball script their plays. So some are really, really good scripters, okay? And some are really good adjusters. They'll adjust to what they see. So you could be seeing just that, you know, the scripted plays that Battle Hawks may be doing, right, at the beginning of the game, they're just, you know, not good scripters. They're just not seeing the game right off the bat. And sometimes, you know, maybe Seattle is. And then they make adjustments, okay? And and I think that's where the Battlehawks coaching right now is is really working out with that. You know, and, and they got a kid right now, a quarterback, that the league has fallen in love with, right? A.J. McCarron said it. He's got a great story about his family, about his kids, about what he wants his legacy to be. And his foresight in seeing that is is, is so awesome. And he's taking care of the football when it comes to, to quarterback play. He's not turning it over. And when situations matter, he's making the throws and making the plays. So I think you're, you're seeing somebody that really understands the game of football and is really coming into his own, you know, with that. And him uh, and some of the receivers and, and the, you know, the tight end Butler and Prohl, they're starting to get some chemistry here a little bit. Uh, you know, there was another big tight end that rumbled down the field in 2020. That's now, with you know, the Los Angeles chargers that Butler kind of reminds me of a little bit, you know, a big guy that can, that can run pretty good. So when it comes to the battle Hawks and that, you know, you're kind of looking at that AJ, I felt played a heck of a game. He was efficient. They made the adjustments and when the game is on the line and there's a situation he knows the situation and what has to be done. Austin Prohl knows the situation and what has to be done. I think he's coming into his own. I think the knock on him here a little bit is that he takes a few more, too many sacks. I had, I heard one comment this week that um, he was compared to Kirk cousins who, you know, would come from behind at the end of the game when, it, you know, when everybody was playing a prevent defense, get a lot of yards and points and things like that. I compare him more to Joe Burrow. He's taking a lot of sacks, but he's overcoming that with great situational play, not turning the ball over 
and just leading his team. So there's something about having and owning that room. And right now when AJ McCarron walks in the room and AJ McCarron talks to that team, people are listening. So they've got a good leader on their hands. And I think they found that. So we'll, we'll see what he, what he's done next week. On the other hand, on the sea dragons, I felt Danucci played well. Okay. Now he's going to have up and down plays again, because there he's a little bit more of that gunslinger. Okay. But you know, he, he did turn the ball over once and we'll talk about that here in a second, but I thought he was pretty efficient. I mean, they're averaging, you know, Seattle's average uh, per pass play was over 10 yards. That's really good. And I think they're averaging quite a bit over that. And they were able to overcome some other things as well. But I felt Danucci played well. I, I thought he, he's got a good receiving crew. And I thought he played good in the clutch as well. Okay. I, I felt that they needed a touchdown and he came and, and he threw a hell of a ball for six points there. That ball's got to be up in the air at the right height where your receiver can get it and nobody else can. And was able to, you know, also, you know, get some plays and some conversions. But the one thing that I thought of was the end of the game, though, and the coaching at the end of the game. It was very interesting when the Battle Hawks scored, right? What were they going to go for? One, two, or three, right? I thought they should have went for one at first. You know, when the, this is easy for me to say when the bullets are flying during a game, it's different, but I think they made the right decision to go for two to kind of put the the game out of a field goal reach at that point. But when Seattle, so after the Butler score, uh, you know, their conversion, they then lead the game, you know, um, I think at that point it was uh, 17 to, to 12 at that point. Danucci gets the ball back, drives him down, and this is what Danucci's able to do, right? He got a big play out of Josh Gordon. You know, we were wondering where he was all night, but hey, when the bullets were flying and, and it meant something, he he got downfield quickly. When they got down into the red zone, I felt they made a little bit of a, a coaching mistake with the clock. But then after I thought about it, there were two ways to go about it. So what happened was they're in the goal to go. And it was third down and Danucci, you know, steps up and throws a little dinker to his running back and his running back gains about two yards. By the time the play clock and the game clock, you know, the game clock keeps running, but by the time the play clock starts, they are in sync second wise. So there was one thirty-five back when that play clock started, they time out five seconds left on the play clock. Okay. Two ways of thinking. Number one, it's going to be a fourth down. So it's either this or nothing. You can think of it in that regard, or you're trying to conserve time because you still had two timeouts left. Okay. And so if you don't score, you might be able to get the ball back with a Hail Mary with field position. Right. So I, in the moment, I was like, run the clock down. You got one chance, be done with it. If they do that, there's there's only, you know, there's 25 less seconds left when the Bad Hawks get the ball. So think about that a little bit when it comes to that. And then when they scored also, I felt they should have went for two to put it so that if you were in a field goal, would tie it. But that's me thinking that 
the percentages of conversion are equal to or relative to the yards that they're going. Okay. And that may not be true right now. I have not seen the conversion percentages yet. I'm sure those will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. But then, you know what? Going for three would have put it at a four-point game, which would have forced the Battle Hawks to score a touchdown. So I understand the thinking of there. But think of the coaching that has to go into that and how it affects the rest of the game. So, but it was a great game. You know, it feels like it happened so long ago. <laughs> but it was Thursday night. And it, you know what? Um, if if anybody caught this game, they saw a really good game. You know, when it came to, uh, you know, these teams battling and really at the end of the game, putting it all out there, back and forth scoring. But the Battlehawks get a long field goal and a great situational play by by McCarron and Prohl to put them in a, a good field goal range. So, I mean, situationally right now, the Battlehawks are, are executing. So we'll see if that catches up to them, you know, leaning forward here. Looking at this game, obviously things are clicking for the Battlehawks. You know, I, I joked about how they're not quite the morning person. But, you know, it doesn't matter because we talked about last week how there's four quarters. It doesn't matter if you win quarter one, two, three, right? It doesn't. You can win three of the quarters, but if somebody figures out the fourth quarter, it's the, the completion or the, the whole bundle of four quarters. Or if it takes overtime, then so be it. But, like, you know, it takes the game and it seems like they're a team that believes in themselves. They don't falter. No too big of a mountain, no too big of a task. They have essentially taken on coach Beck, his vibe, his attitude, his mindset. That team is living like how he talks, whether it's with the media, right. Or just how he interacts with whoever. And that's a really cool thing to, to see. And with that happening, we are already seeing the news coming out that the 300 level was available. And then I saw something today. It looks like the top might have just opened up. Who knows? And and that would be great for, for the XFL. Now, Michael, here's the thing. You're seeing the team take on the identity of a head coach in a positive way. And and you're seeing it because it is positive, right? Because Anthony Beck is out there, very positive, very, you know, upbeat, really there. But you know what? Most teams take on the identity and personality of their head coach. So you, you kind of can see it sometimes in other places too, whether it's bad or average, right? So, I mean, sometimes some teams look a little bit more chaotic. Maybe the head coach isn't as organized as we think he is. You know, maybe the coach is, you know, a little bit more grinder, you know, and things like that. So I think you see that a lot in sports. You you will see that, especially in football. You you see it kind of take the element of the head coach and, and part of their personality is is groomed into that. And part of the reason is because you're looking for like people right? You're looking for that in your team. So you're going to hang on to those types of people most likely. So that's very interesting. Um, One other note, I just wanted to note about Ben DiNucci here. And, you know, he did, you know, he did lose another fumble that seemed to, to be pretty big on a third and one. And, 
Now he's gone under center twice now and he's fumbled both times. So my, my thing is going to be, don't go under center with Ben DiNucci. Him and the center apparently do not have this figured out. So, I mean, that would be my solution to it. I know it's professional football and he should be able to go under center. The other thing is, is the Phil, I'm going to call it the Philadelphia quarterback sneak. They have the best, the Philadelphia Eagles got away with that because they have the best center. They had two of the best guards in football. They had an offensive line that could beat you up. If you don't have that, that push isn't really going to work too well because now defenses are just pushing their defensive guys. You know, that's how I would stop it. If you're going to push, I'm going to push. Let's see what happens. And so, I mean, that turned out to be kind of a, a, a drive, definitely a drive stopper and a momentum shifter. But to me, he's played well. I, I don't think, um, you know, I think we've gotten what we have expected out of out of um, Seattle, except the W. Um, I think they're the best 0-2 team right now, you know, and uh, they'll they'll come back from that. Yeah, I'm not going to add too much insight onto that, so we'll just move right on to game two if you're you're good with that. Absolutely. All right. I think this may have been the most talked about for whatever reason. All right, but we'll get right into it. Game two, D.C. defenders at the Vegas Vipers with the defenders winning 18-6. to I'll acknowledge the biggest takeaway of the game. Stadium, field conditions, discussions were rampant all over social media, and rightfully so. I know that some people even tried to twist whatever I supposedly said or what I meant, and I was just, I was acknowledging that, hey, there is plenty of discussion out there. I get it, and I wasn't putting it down, and I was just trying to say, like, hey, I'm just happy to watch football, right? Doesn't mean that they weren't right. A painted field and rain made for horrible playing conditions. Players struggled to get any sort of footing, which led to kickers and others to slip and fall. Heck, even injuries. It was real. It seems obvious for me the decision to bring in De'Ara King, though, to get switches back to football, was the single most important decision that changed this entire game. What are your thoughts? Well, Michael, addressing the the elephant in the room were the, you know, obviously field and venue uh, situation there. And so I'm going to address that right off the bat here. Then we'll talk about football and how you have to kind of overcome that. But I'm going to tell you what, this is the first time watching the XFL on TV. And we've had seven weeks of it from 2020. And, you know, I'm counting, counting 2.0 and 3.0. This is the first time that I ever felt like it was minor league. The XFL had options. I feel they had options or they should have had options. Vegas is a great place for a team and it's a, it's a sports hotspot right now. Okay. And having somebody there also obviously for gambling issues or gambling publicity is good. But however, when they figured out that they could not play in a professional football stadium, okay, or college, high-level college football stadium, there, there are other cities that would have taken them. And, and I thought that was the whole purpose of not announcing where they were. It took so long to announce, you know, the cities and things like that was because they wanted to negotiate uh, with the cities, not knowing that, hey, we can still pick up and leave. 
in that regard, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, there is a place in Southern California that did really well in the AAF. And I agree with them. And there's a brand new college stadium there that would look really good on TV for them. So this is a snafu for them. And they got to figure out how to fix it. It not only, like you mentioned, was the venue painted field with what people say were golf cart tracks. Well, a golf cart, you know, what were the golf carts carrying? Jesus, you know, they were ripping through the dirt there, you know, that a painted field, they just kind of slapped this together. And it, it was a very bad look because it was Saturday night and it was the only game on. The other thing that did not help it was it was windy. Then it decided to rain in the desert. So everything you could ask for went wrong. Everything you could ask for. Cameras are all wet, so they they can't show a sideline view too often without it being blurry. Uh, I don't understand how you can't wipe a camera off or put something over it so that it's not doing that, but I'm not in TV production. This that's the one thing I just want to say. This is the first time that I felt it, it was very, you know, minor league of them. Let's be a professional football league and let's fix this. And I think they should come out and address it and just take it by the horns, take responsibility and and figure something out. If that means moving them, if that means playing in Dallas, people will watch football games without fans. Another league has proven that the NFL proved that in 2020. Um, So I think they they need to they need to to bite the bullet on this one, or they really need to fix that venue and really dress it up. Yeah, it's a bad look, right? There's no, there's no doubt here. This league, this ownership, this leadership in the front office, you know, executive levels, they botched the Vegas situation from day one. I know we're here to talk football, and we're here to talk about game two, but it, it's important. It is important. Right. A lot of people are constantly asking me, what do I think? It's a bad look. It was a bad look when they didn't have a stadium, when they announced all the cities and they didn't have a stadium then. It was a bad look when we were waiting on schedules, waiting on all sorts of things. It was a bad look when it got down, to, it was being reported as down between a high school stadium and Cashman Field, right? Before it was even decided. It was a bad look. We knew they weren't going to spend the money and agree with Davis to play at Allegiant where the Raiders play. We, we knew it was going to happen. It was just too big. It was going to be too much. And then they choose the stadium. We're like, okay, we'll have to see what happens. Pitchers came out. The grass was dead, as dead as it. And I get it. It's, it's a desert. And probably you're going to say whatever water because the desert doesn't have a lot of water until you're a couple weeks. But you didn't time it right to get the grass back to where it needed to be. Heck, if the grass couldn't have come back, you didn't work with the city. You didn't work with the venue. Heck, you didn't work with a soccer team that's the primary tenant now of this former baseball stadium to bring in new sod, right? That could have been done. That could have, if you were willing to pay. We know they're only paying $10,000 per event. That's the deal that came out. The report came right out of one of the local affiliates. That It's a two-year deal for 2023 and 2024, and they're only paying $10,000 per event for up to nine events per year. This is not breaking the bank. Not at all. Every time we turn around this Vegas situation, this team, I mean, heck, Rod Woodson was telling us they would go play on pavement anywhere, anywhere. Well, they couldn't play at Cashman. Some other team that they played against, which I just mentioned, Derek King finally came in 
and the game changed. It changed. One player came in. Heck, Abram Smith started looking like a different player because Derek King was in the game. One <laughs> changed the entire vibe. But the other team still couldn't figure out, even when they brought in Hunley. You know, and I know I'm getting back to football, but we know it's a bad look. The league has botched it. They continue to botch it. But before they have another home game, I mean, I know there's another set of celebrities that own a professional team. For who doesn't know this? Ryan Reynolds. And uh, the guy, other guy, I'm not a watcher of Always Sunny, but um, the, the other guy owns it. They resodded a field over in Wales for what was equivalent to just over $100,000 American money. What are they waiting for? If you're only paying $10,000 per game, why don't you just go ahead and put some, why don't you work with the city and pay for it yourself? You obviously patched the, the tracks. Somebody had to bring in some sod from someplace. Are you, you kidding me? All right. Now, this is my soapbox. Now you got me going, all right? They have botched it every step of the freaking way. Are they going to botch it for the second home game? Right? Well, well that's maybe, the maybe whatever contacts I have with the league, I might lose them after this. But, I mean, everyone wants to give me a little shit on, uh, I mean, sorry, a little crap on social media because I didn't say enough, right? Well, I didn't think that was the moment. I thought everyone else was already doing enough of it, right? I was just going to be another echo in the echo chamber that is of that particular thing. But maybe if the league is now listening to me one-on-one or some people that I have contact, maybe now they'll take it a little bit differently because I am talking about it. I'm not just echoing where there's, okay. If they listen now, they're like, oh, geez, Mike actually said something that may not be bothered. We all know they botched it. It's it, it, it's so obvious. It's it's a been a bad smudge on their entire record of this particular ownership group. Vince McMahon spent too much money because he wouldn't let this happen. That's why. absolutely absolutely. He made and, sure he was and, in all these professional venues, even if it happened to be a college. Venue, he was not cheaping the product. They cheapened it all the way. This is Danny. Dwayne, Redbird Capital, Russ Brandon, whoever all at the top that decided that this was going to work for him. I think Bishop Gorman would have been a better product for the team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they've they shown games on ESPN at Bishop Gorman, so you know that it can happen. It Anything would have, you know, and, and Rod Rod Woodson's right, right? He he needs to be the public figure, and, and I've always said it too. You know, we'll play anybody, any place, anytime. Just name where we're at and we'll go. However, there is player safety now, you know, games have been rescheduled and canceled. I mean, I remember a hall of fame game getting pulled because of the turf. You know, there were other preseason games that, you know, venues coaches were walking down and the turf wasn't right. And they, they canceled those games in the NFL. That's I get it. It's the NFL. What I want to see from the XFL is them to take ownership of what just happened and to do something to fix it. Like you said, bring, bring in some sod and re-turf the field and make it look like a, a football stadium, you know, uh, bring in some stands on that side to help with that instead of just having scaffolding and, and things like that, you know? So that's what I would like to see them do is, is you got to take ownership here and know I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall because you got to know that, you know, Danny Garcia, Russ Brandon and Cardone had to be on, on either texting each other or they're calling each other saying, 
what is this and, and what do we need to do? Do we just let it fly or do we, do we do something about it? Now, Danny, you know, these leagues are all about transparency. So, I mean, maybe we're just looking for some answers because it's, you know, now Monday night and we haven't gotten any, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out, but you know what? There's another game here Saturday. It's a standalone game again on Saturday night. It, it better look better than what it did because you can't put that on TV again. And you're right. I, I held back tweeting um, some things just because I still <laughs> don't have a right coach, but I, I said my piece on it and I, I just want them to take ownership and do that. So we'll see if that happens this week. You never know. I, I feel like Garcia has a pretty good pulse of what the public will do and say. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'll say one more thing about the Cashman, and then we'll really focus on football. You cannot be a league of innovation. You cannot be a league that has gone to every possible extent for player safety and then do that. All right, I'm going to, I'll be a little bit more bold. This went against two principles that the league has literally put out there time and time again. We're about the player. We're about innovation. I'll tell you what, that field had nothing to do with innovation. I mean, what are we going to do? Start putting swamps out there next and boards to jump over? I mean, I mean, that would be more innovative. That had nothing to do with player safety. Everyone was slipping and sliding. I mean, you painted a field knowing that rain was coming. I'm in Florida. I will not see this storm that's taken the entire country, west, headed east. They knew this was coming. I mean, hell, you painted the freaking field. You painted it. There's pictures out there of the company that did it. Out there, it's a spray paint. It was paint gun. The rain was coming. You didn't think this was going to happen? Yeah, a little foresight would have been good too, right, with that. And uh, unfortunately, they this is... This is a spot that, you know, they're dropping the ball here a little bit. So we're going to find out if the old adage, any publicity is good publicity, because they're getting publicity on this, uh, for sure. Everybody's talking about it. Every podcast that you're going to listen to, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear everybody's opinion on it. Let's, Let's see what they do. But you're right. You know, they're going against what they believe. And they need to create something there that that is safer and can be put on national TV. All right, so I think uh, I think it's time to kind of move to the football part of it. I think we, we kind of went a little bit longer than we thought to there. Yeah, we definitely did. So let's get on to football. I I said my piece the the Eric King. If there was a game MVP. If there was a player that deserved the game ball, however you want to say it, I think he changed everything. I think right to the point that it, no one expected a player to do anything. I mean, it just it looked so sloppy and so bad. And all of a sudden, he just, it was like flicking on a light switch. We had a game. We had somebody that could do something. We had somebody that was motivating and inspiring teammates to do something because Abram Smith looked like a completely different player once he came onto the field. So, I mean, we'll bypass all the crap that was happening right up to D.R. King. I mean, you know, unless you want to talk about some of the stuff beforehand, by all means, have it. but I think that's when we finally had a football game. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Vegas only scored because of a, a you know, a, a turnover 
uh, being, you know, close to the goal line. Otherwise they're, they're going to get shut out. There's a couple MVPs. I think you're right. Derek King and Abram Smith looked like different players in the second half and especially the fourth quarter. What he's able to bring now, again, I'm not a big proponent to the two quarterback system, but in this case, if if you need to try and get something going and you can't really throw the ball because the wind is terrible and it's raining, stick with what's working. So let's try some things, right? What they're able to do with him is they run the same play basically with them. They run what's called a power read, you know, where Abram Smith is running more of an outside sweep with the receivers and they're running power with the line and he's reading, you know, the, the end man and the line scrimmage, whether or not he's giving or if he's got a hole or not in that regard. And it's a very effective play, especially because everybody else is running inside zone and outside zone. I don't see a lot of power. I don't see a lot of counter going on. And those are sometimes harder to fit. So when everybody's running inside outside zone, what do the defenses practice? Inside and outside zone. All of a sudden now you got power read with a kid that can make a kid miss or make two people miss and you get a dangerous situation. So I think they found what was working. Okay. Um, Abram Smith did a heck of a job. I think he was actually really the MVP because he made it go. Because if he can't get those yards going, he didn't rush for Derek King didn't rush for a lot of yards, but he kept everybody honest in that with that. The other MVP of the game is is uh the defender's defensive coordinator. Greg Williams defenses so far are doing a heck of a job. And he's you talk about a Again, a defense that takes on the personality of a coach, right? Kind of a hard-nosed gambler, and they're doing that. Vegas has got some issues offensively, and their their OC uh, needs to figure them out. It needs to figure them out fast. I think Brett Hundley is your answer there. You get more of a vertical, and I know that he wasn't very accurate, but the wind was blowing and everything else was going crazy. I think if you get Brett, Brett Hundley's thrown to Jerome, Jerome Allison more times in practice with the Green Bay Packers, probably than anybody else has thrown together in the XFL, you know? So I think they need to get him going. And they got a wide receiving crew that can really get that done. Now, Luis is, like I said, he's going to be steady. He's going to, you know, get you your intermediate plays, get a big play here and there. And then, you know, also he's going to, make a couple of mistakes during the course of a game. Some will cost you, some won't. But I think in order to push the ball down the field, which you have to do in this league because the clock is running, you have to be able to get chunks of yardage. You can't three yards in a cloud of dust this league. And so I I think you're going to see that a little bit. But I think, you know, right now, Vegas just seems – they seem a little out of sorts. I think they took on the, you know, kind of the the situation that was going on there and and felt it. And and DC capitalized on it, saying, hey, we're just we're gonna get this and we're gonna run this, you know, we're gonna run this play until you can can stop it, and they couldn't stop it. So I know you said that Hunley didn't do too well. He actually was eleven of eighteen for a pretty nasty rain game. So I, I'm going to give him a, 
actually a little bit of props here, especially for coming in cold off the bench in a crappy situation. And I'm not saying he saved them and saved the day because clearly they lost, right? He, he did not do that. But I think for his performance coming into that type of situation, and actually performing the way he did, yes, they lost. But the reality is I think he's played himself the right to start game three. Absolutely. And I think he'll do well in a situation that's a little bit more, you know, dry and, and good, good playing services and, and everything like that. I think he came in and tried to rally the troops here a little bit and, and we just, they just couldn't get it done, but you're right. He was 11 for 18. You know what else he brings though, too. And and what a lot of the quarterbacks did bring this week that they needed to bring. You saw in week one, kind of a lot of sacks. This week, you saw the quarterbacks running a little bit more, even if it's for five yards. But you saw quarterbacks, Danucci, McCarron, Hudley, you know, all of them ran for first downs. Okay. And Bill Walsh always said that he would look for, when he was scouting quarterbacks during games, he wanted a guy that could pick up a first down or two with his legs a game. So what that does is it kind of slows down that pass rush because now you've got your linebacker coach barking at the linebackers that they got to watch, watch the, you know, you know, they can't just drop in coverage, you know, 25 yards downfield. And then the D line guys also telling everybody to stay in their pass rushing lanes, you know? So now they're focused on doing that a little bit more and not getting around the corner and, and then also in, you know, up the middle. So there are some sacks happening. I'm not going to say it's going to eliminate it, but what helped the offense as I felt this week was quarterbacks were able to, to pick up a few first downs with their legs and, and keep drives alive. And they're going to continue to do that. The great ones always, always do the dangerous ones always do even at their age, the, you know, in the NFL, some of the great ones still did it. You know, they knew that, Hey, at least once a game, I may have to run for this. You know, I don't want to do that. Um, so I think he brings that aspect too. And I think that is important to keep the sticks moving. They're, they got to find an identity on offense and, and get going. And I just think right now their offense needs a, a lot of work. And, you know, is that having a defensive head coach is, is, is that, you know, going to change here soon? Like, so let's see what happens there. But I think, you know, the first move is getting Hundley in there full time, taking all the snaps all game. Well, maybe the stadium situation will be just enough to take the sting out of being O and 2 because there's a lot of people that thought this was a heck of a football team and it does not look like a heck of a football team after this game. I know they looked really hot coming out of the gate against Arlington in their first game of the season. But the reality is uh, it did not look like a, a team that anybody would be picking to play in any championship game, let alone win it. So hopefully that gets them off the hot seat enough as far as a team. And I'm not acting like the XFL hot seat is the same as an NFL hot seat. But the reality is uh, for those that are watching, uh, luckily there's a bigger pile of excrement sitting in that city than the team itself. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate not to keep dwelling on that. But let's let's move on to game three, if we will. We had the San Antonio Brahmas at the Orlando Guardians with the Brahmas winning 30-12. to 12. I must note, I was in attendance for this game, 
and I did not get to see any of the replays or hear any of Dean Blandino's discussions, explanations. So my insight is going to be lacking compared to anybody that got to see it from a different perspective. I will say it's obvious who the worst team in the league is. Do I have to say it? The Guardians? <laughs> do, do we do we have to really say it? And I mean, this is not the analysis I think that people are tuning in for. But I mean, man, if there wasn't Cashman Field to be talking about the biggest turd, I think it would be the Orlando Guardians for the league. It is not looking good. And I'm a season ticket holder, man. I'm driving two and a half to three hours, depending on how traffic works. And I'm willing to say they are the worst team. And I think the sports books got it right when they said that they were the least likely to win the championship. Yeah. Typically, you know, Vegas is, is pretty, you know, spot on with some of this stuff. Uh, you know, whether, you know, some of the things can derail that like injuries and people performing a, a different way. The guardians, we knew, you know, everybody rated a eighth coming into the, coming into the season. Everybody had this roster rated uh, the eighth uh, out of eight. Okay, so last. So this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I think, you know, there needs to be some reality check inside that personnel and, and coaching department there. I guess I don't know what to call it. The, you know, the office is there. They knew that they were, you know, you got to listen to, you know, if people are ranking you eight all the way around, you need to either play that up or you're going to have a long year and you got to, you got to understand you're going to have a long year. and you've got to minimize the way that things are going to go. What sums up the guardians to me is this during the telecast. Okay. And you, you probably missed this, Michael Shane Matthews, the quarterback coach is the one that communicates the play into the, anybody who has the communication device in their helmet. Now I would say that's the receivers and perimeter players. Cause that's what I would do, but could be anybody. But he's also taking, Shane Matthews is taking the play before that from the offensive coordinator, Coach Ford. So we're one guy saying it, and then another guy's relaying it in. Okay. Now, this might not sound like a big deal, but with a 35-second play clock, it's a big deal. A lot of times with the XFL, the innovation is to get the play call in fast. So your guys can get lined up and go. And their operations seems to be a little slower. Okay. And, you know, they may defend it or not, but the OC should just be talking to the quarterback. Like, why are we doing that? Like explain that one to me, like, because you want Shane Matthews to be able to talk to the quarterback. The last thing I want is my quarterback coach, who's been a quarterback, to play quarterback on the sideline. Okay? I want my quarterback that's in the game to play quarterback. Plain and simple. When I was a quarterback coach, I had to stand next to the guy with the headset and ask him what the play was. Okay? And then when the guy came over, I would be like, hey, first thing we would always talk about was we would talk about technique first. You know, maybe he wasn't doing, you know, maybe his drop was a little sloppy. And so it was throwing timing off. Maybe, you know, his read wasn't all that great. And we would talk about, you know, hey, what did you see on this and that? And what do you like for the next series? Okay. Or, hey, do you think we can run this? You know, 
those are the things that I would talk about. Like me yelling into him <laughs> other than check. Okay. The play call isn't anything you should really say. Now you saw on the other hand though, in the roughnecks game, you saw the guy, you know, yelling at him until the ball was snapped. The G <laughs> what was it? G T O F <laughs> or, or no G T F O. <laughs> right. And we all know what that means. And if you don't, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say it. Right. Uh, but I, I just think it's a weird way of doing it. Uh, and it, it just kind of sums up the guardians right now. The other thing too, is, you know, Terrell was asked about his team and, and he, you know, some people were saying he threw his team under the bus and he did a little bit. Um, I think he could have addressed that a little bit by saying we, you know, need to execute more. We need to be more consistent instead of, you know, they or the players or people need to perform, right? Words matter when you're, when you're saying that. And I said it in our preview, what's going to happen when the wheels fall off and there's a mic in his face and people are kind of getting on him. Now it's, I don't think it was too bad what he said, but the guardians need to, the first thing the guardians need to do is look at their, the coaching staff and front uh, personnel department need to look at themselves first. Okay. Figure out what they want and go and get it. Okay. Now you may say, well, there's not a ton of linemen out there or anything like that. Okay. Well then fix the ones you got the best that you can and do what you need to do. Because I'm telling you, it's going to be a long year for them. They're, they're going to sit there and just rotate quarterbacks and blame it on quarterback play I still think Paxton Lynch can play, can push it downfield. He's shown that. Francois, yeah, he brings in some mobility and some excitement. They always do right away, but then teams figure these guys out. So the guy I'd want behind center is Paxton, you know, right now, who can get that ball downfield and can get it to the the playmakers he has. The problem they got is they got no offensive line. So Half the time he's he's running and and also uh, you know getting hit. So they need to figure some things out themselves before they blame it on the players. They knew this was going to be a weak roster. Okay, so you know that you got to go in with a little bit more positivity with them. Again, taking the identity of your coach. Okay, is your coach condescending or is your coach co- confident and positive and in esteem building? Are you tearing them down or are you building them up? Because this is what I always said as a coach. You can tell them how good they are, and you can tell them how bad they are. Which one do you want them to believe? Okay, because I would rather have them out there believing that they're really good. Because if they believe they're really bad, they're going to play really bad. So I think there's a lot that needs to go on there. So I'll get off my soapbox. I think I've, I've kind of laid into the Guardians two weeks in a row here a little bit. But you know what? I want to see Orlando succeed. I want to see a good, you know, fan base there. So I want butts in the stands. Mike, I don't know if you got anything to say. Otherwise, I'll I'll switch over to kind of the Browns a little bit. So you're right. The offensive line is horrendous. It starts to create time. Any quarterback, anybody is going to pass. You know, if if you're mobile or whatever, okay, you're going to create some things on the fly. I get it. But it starts right with the snap for two weeks in a row. I've watched struggles from that ball leaving the center to Paxton Lynch. Either too low, too high, 
multiple times in a game. It starts with the snap. You can't do anything until that ball's to the quarterback's hands, right? The whole offensive thing depends on the quarterback getting the ball. And if the quarterback is struggling to get the ball, forget about whether it's a pass or to, to hand it off for a run. You're going to have nothing but problems. How can't you figure out how to get, transition that ball from the center to the freaking quarterback? You want to get on a high horse? You want to get on a soapbox? It starts right there, Coach Buck. If you can't get that most basic of a transition done, you're not going to win any football game. You've had five weeks before the season kicked off. You got six weeks before this week two. Can we figure out the seventh week together before they play game three? I know literally we're supposed to be talking about this game, but the Guardians have a problem with just transferring the ball from center to quarterback. That speaks volumes across the entire offense right there. If you can't get that figured out, you're going to have a problem. Absolutely. So there's an, Michael, there's an old adage here. You know, I, I worked with a, a young man that wanted to, when he, tra- he transferred from a FCS division one school to a division three school and obviously did really well at the division three level. But one, when he was looking at division three schools, he wanted an offense that went under center. Okay. And I was always like, well, why? So, you know, uh, the reasoning was so that he could always keep his eyes downfield and on a, on what his read was and what was going on. He didn't have to take his eyes off the defense or anything to field the ball and shotgun. So people don't realize that that is, that's can be an issue. So yeah, if snaps are low, high, left, right, center, you're making it hard. You're definitely making it harder because now they got to take their eyes and hands and get it to another place. And right now with the way the tackles are playing, any split second is meaningful more to to Paxton Lynch and Francois or any quarterback that's going to drop back in that pass projection than anything. So yeah, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because, you know, maybe they, maybe instead, you know, like I said, Ben DiNucci, don't put him under center. Maybe you take Paxton Lynch and you put him under center and you give him the opportunity to keep his eyes downfield and you get that going, you know, the right way and you use play action. So uh, we'll see. I think they'll squeak out a game or two. They'll surprise somebody play, you know, but everything's got to go right for them to win. And that's typically, you know, everything's got to go right for them to just even be in the game. I mean, they've given up 30 points, you know, day both weeks and, you know, special teams was an issue this week, but then flipping it here a little bit to the Brahmas, my Michael, um, you know, I, I know we, we kind of focus on that a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you what though, Jack Cohn was steady as you could get. And he's starting to figure out, what people can do. And he's, you know, he's got a little Notre Dame connection going on with Elise Mack and that looked really good. And then, you know, he's got a couple other, you know, receivers. He spread the ball around really well. He was efficient. He had three touchdown passes, you know, I mean, he could be offensive player of the week if I don't, you know, if we had it. Um, But, you know, and so he played super well. You know, he did fumble once, but they didn't lose it. So he didn't turn the ball over. So with that defense and the Brahmas, uh, if he plays like this in that running game, 
San Antonio is going to do well. And I think, you know, that first game, uh, you know, looking back with the battle Hawks, that's what it's going to take to beat them is, is a good, you know, a good game by another team. And then a, a really, you know, flashy kind of uh, fourth quarter play there. So I really liked what them coming back after a tough loss um, and kind of getting right here a little bit. And often I know we talk offense a lot, but they, they played so really well and, and solid in their special teams made a play too, but Jack Cohen starting to look really good. Yeah. I mean, Mac, Mac just towered. I mean, you, you don't being there in person and you can watch anything on television, but you can just see how much he towered over the defensive backs. He's just, he's huge. He was targeted five times at four receptions. I'm really surprised that Cone just didn't just throw it to him all the time because I think he just would have had a field day if he wanted to. Now, obviously, you want to spread the ball. You know, it's you don't want to change the game. But they could have really just tore apart the Guardians' defense. And there's a couple, like Elam had a chance to pick it off. It was right there in his hands. I mean, I guess things, you know, could have gone their way. But, you know, it's just the Guardians' way for it not to go your way, apparently. Even when it's right there for the slim pickings or right. you know, pick it off a tree, so to speak. But yeah, they're a solid team and they needed their victory. You know, everyone looked at game one against the Battle Hawks as they should have won, you know, but I guess you can't, you shouldn't win anything that you don't win, you know, if you can't finish it out. But the reality is they're a good team and, you know, defensively, they did everything they needed to do. Just, you know, the Guardians having a weak offensive line or, you know, whatever, just it's kind of a shame on the Guardians end, but the Brahmas did everything they were supposed to do, anything they were expected to do. And if if not, then some, you know, they put up another 30 point performance on the Guardians. So it comes back to that old adage, are the Guardians that bad or were the teams they played against that good? Well, we know the Guardians are that bad, but maybe those teams they're playing against are that good as well. So it's you know, because obviously there's another game we'll talk about here shortly, but, uh, you know, not to, to beat on anything too much, but yeah, they, they did extremely well. I mean, and they did it without their, their leading receiver as far as receptions from the game before. So they weren't even a hundred percent going into this game. You know, maybe the defense didn't have to do much because the offense they're playing against, they're going to only put up 12 points a game. That's what they're averaging. So maybe they didn't have to come up, but they looked more than competent. Right, they look like a solid football team, but even offensively, they didn't have all of their players. But yet, they still looked very well. So, yeah, I, I don't really have anything particular to hone in on. It's just they were more than competent. Cone didn't throw for over two hundred yards. It was still six. I mean, well, I think one sixty something in yardage. So he didn't like tear it up, but just hit, did what they had to do. Take care of the ball. It, absolutely. And he, you know, move the chains and be consistent. Don't turn the ball over. You can win a lot of games doing that. You, you know, the other trend that you're kind of seeing along with, you know, the quarterbacks kind of getting out and running a little bit and picking up some first downs and some yardage with their legs was you saw that um, the middle of the field, you saw teams start to establish that person who can attack the middle of the field. And Mac is that that person f- for the Brahmas. Uh, Butler obviously is going to be, and Prol are going to be it for the, um, you know, Battlehawks. You saw that establish 
a little bit more, which will open up more of the things on the outside because we're not seeing a lot of like big play outside passing game or couple. Don't get me wrong. But for the number of back shoulder throws that I see to the outside, they're not that many big plays going on. So people are kind of going to have to figure that out. What are they willing to give up and what are they not willing to kind of give up in that regard? So a little bit of a trend you saw uh, in the league there, but San Antonio establishing that as well. Let's move on to game four. We have the Arlington Renegades at the Houston Roughnecks. Must be nice that Houston just has to leave Arlington and just keep going to Houston here for a little bit. You know, back-to-back home games. You know, I guess yeah, it's fair because somebody's on the road for three in a row, so why not give the Houston Roughnecks? But anyway, with the Roughnecks winning 23-14, to 14, unfortunately, I was traveling back from Orlando on the two and a half hours plus. I was unable to watch this. So I have nothing other than the box score to look at. I did not have an opportunity with my day job to watch it today. So here we are. I have no meaningful insight other than looking at numbers. I'm going to really rely on you, Mark, here to provide us something, anything. What would you see? So let's start with the let's start with the Renegades a little bit here. You know, Drew Plitt, we're gonna start with that. And you know, Sam can Sal Canella is really good. I mean, for these leagues, he is really good and, and he's helping Drew out here a little bit. But what the Renegades are lacking is the ability, and I'll say it again, to push the ball downfield. And if you don't have that in this league, you're not gonna you're going to win some games, but you're not going to win a championship because you have to be able to score and score fast sometimes. Okay. Because number one, the two minute rules and number two, there's a running clock. Like you don't get many opportunities. This isn't college football or, or even the pros here a little bit. Like the clock is just going until it's inside two minutes of each half. So those two minutes inside of each half, those possessions that these teams get are so important because the clock does stop a little bit. And you you, you see them moving the ball a little bit when inside two minutes because of the fact that they're going tempo and now the defense has to kind of, you know, go tempo. And defenses don't like going tempo. That's why I said if you're huddling in this league, you're doing it wrong. You only got 10 games. Let's Let's go. You know, let's, let's get moving, get those guys on the back and make them make base calls, you know, instead of, you know, letting them sit around and show you which blitz they want to bring and then bring another one. I mean, if you're on tempo, you're, you're ahead of the game here a little bit. So I felt like Drew Plitt can't get the ball downfield. And they even showed a stat on TV that he was like nine for 11 under 10 yards and oh, for five over 10 yards. I mean, if you can't, complete passes in the intermediate uh, area, you you just, you can't do it. And I get it. Drew Plitt is young. So they're being conservative with him. I don't think the XFL coming out year one needs conservative play. Okay. We need to, to grow this sport. It needs to be aggressive and it needs to go. People got to want to watch it. And that means 
you got to score. You got to get big plays. You got to get the ball downfield. So this old, this old adage, you know, that, you know, Drew is, he's a young guy and, you know, that's great, but that's not what the XFL needs right now. The XFL needs guys that can get the ball downfield. That's why in 2.0, Josh Johnson was there, right? That's why, you know, once they saw PJ Walker, they figured, holy cow, he can get it. That's why Brandon Silvers is still going here. Okay. And we're going to talk about him in a bit. So the Guardians offense, just inability to really even make big plays. You're, you're just running the clock out on yourself. So you, you, you can't score fast. Okay. I think they need to kind of address that a little bit. And I'm going to call for Kyle Sloter until the cows come home. I'm from Wisconsin being, you know, until the cows come home. I can use that being growing up from there, you know, and I just don't see it. Why, why, if you want to develop a quarterback in this league, that's great. You know, in year five of this league and you're rebuilding and you've got a rookie quarterback, that's great. That's not what this league needs right now. And so Drew, I know you're probably a great guy, but right now you need to push the ball down the field and you need to get your coaches to push the ball down the field. Otherwise you guys are going to, you're going to win a game here, there, you'll be 500 and you'll be out of the playoffs. So anyways, that being said, the roughnecks on the other hand, again, I don't get this whole infatuation with, with Cole McDonald. Okay. If you want to play the kid, play the kid. Okay. Now I'm just saying rookie quarterbacks aren't what this league needs, but if you want to play the kid, play him. Brandon Silvers is playing great. I don't care what anybody says, but to take him out and then put him back in, in the same series, no quarterback wants that. This is a professional football league. This isn't freshman football at at a high school. Pick a quarterback and do it. And the guy you got started taking 95% of the snaps or 98, I don't know what the statistic is, is the guy. Stop trying to fool yourself. Again, Cole McDonald's is a young guy. And I get it. He can run the ball and he's big and he's good looking and he's from Hawaii and everybody wants to, you know, that's great. That's great. But Brandon Silvers is scoring points. And you can say, well, Cole did this and that. And he scored a touchdown. Whatever. Like, stop messing the series up and, and doing that to Brandon. Let him sling the damn ball. He's doing great. GTFO. Brandon Silvers is throwing the heck of GTFO. All right? They killed him on GTFO. And middle of the field, right? Middle of the field's been open. They established that. Brandon Silvers saw that. Brandon Silvers can get you downfield right now. I just, I don't understand the whole Cole McDonald thing right now. Okay. And okay. I didn't see him play, you know, in college and I'm not seeing him play in practice and, and, you know, but I think they're forcing that a little bit. Okay. Because he's, you know, he was at one of the tryouts, you know, and I think they just need, you got to stop forcing that. I know people don't want to sit here and, because Brandon Silvers has played in some of these leagues and sometimes those guys get, you know, and he's not overly flashy personality wise, but this guy right now, he's up there with Danucci, AJ McCarron, top, top two, top three, right down the league. So ride him. I, I just don't understand it. So um, I'll get off of that a little bit too, a little bit, but then putting him, put his name on the map, 
doing what Austin Broll can do, doing the GTOF. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I even know if I'm saying it right now. <laughs> I'm getting my acronyms all messed up. Right. And, you know, and it was great to see Nick Holly out there. Okay. Uh, scoring a touchdown, you know, um, Nick, you know, obviously, especially for the re- of roughnecks, but their defense is solid. They've got a deep threat in, in Kirkland. He, he averaged 28 yards a catch, put them at, in the fourth quarter, you know, made some great plays. Um, you know, they were able to get some guys over the middle again because the middle of the field's open. Okay. Because everybody's covering the outside. Everybody's worried about all those screens and stuff like that right now. So I just don't know. I just, I think AJ Smith is doing a great job with them. And I think Brandon Silvers has got the thing. Uh, got that offense down pat. I may be too high on Brandon Silvers, but it's not putting Cole McDonald in there for a series, you know, one or two plays and then asking Brandon to go back in. You know, if you're going to play him, play him. And if you're going to develop him, guess what? Develop him. But not while you got a quarterback that's that's winning ball games. And and Brandon, I think, did a did a really good job. I mean, he was he was about fifty percent. He didn't turn the ball over, and that's you know if you can do that and you can throw a couple touchdown passes in the red zone, you're doing great. He'll have his sixty five percent games, but he's throwing the ball downfield, right? Drew Plitt's throwing five yard, seven yard passes. Of course, his completion percentage is going to be seventy percent. 65, 70%, right? Same thing with Luis Perez. But when you get a guy that can sling it, okay, and is going to take some chances, sometimes your completion percentage is going to drop. But guess what? You're going to pick up yards and you're going to score points. So, all right, I'll get it again. I, I may be high, uh, more high on Brandon Silvers than other people are. I know Cole is probably, you know, worth it. But then, you know, maybe he should be on a different team. You know, maybe, you know, he should be traded then if, if he should be in there like some people are calling for, but I don't know. I just, the change up thing in professional football, I just, just let the guy who's doing a good job stay in there until the end of the game. When, when you don't want him to get hurt. I mentioned, I didn't watch it. Right. So, I mean, it's don't take what I'm reading lightly folks. Don't, don't take it as gospel or anything. You know, looking at the box score here, they're getting to the quarterback. I mean, defensively, roughnecks are getting to the quarterback. Five sacks. I mean, it just was it for a loss of thirty-eight yards. I mean, just that's game changing. Just looking at a box score without watching a game. I mean, that's game changing, man. I don't. I don't care who the you know. Yeah, maybe you need a mo- a mobile quarterback if Plitt's not going to be. But they're getting to the quarterback. I mean, that's back-to-back weeks. I don't care you know who you are. That defense is something to pay attention. You're going to have to have a better protection and that's got to be a primary focus for each team that plays Houston this this season obviously. Every everyone's going to get a shot, some are going to get two shots at them. But you know, I look at that, yeah. That's going to be a headache for any offense. But you know, other than that, I'm not going to really dig in, dig into things because, again, like I said, I didn't watch the game. So, absolutely. I mean, it's sacks, it's sacks can be looked at as two ways, and and they're situational sometimes, right? 
sometimes they can knock you out, but you know, of, of field goal range. Okay. Or they can, they can take point when they take points off the board is when they're most important. Right. Or on the other hand, when they put points on the board, if you have a guy who takes, you know, a quarterback that takes a lot of stacks, can they overcome that? Okay. So it's second and 15. Can that guy still get a first down out of that? And, and you see that in the NFL with Joe Burrow, he can overcome a sack. He's not going to make a bad throw because someone's not open. He's going to kind of take a sack and, and sacks can be, they can be drive killers and they can be, and I know Joe Burrow is just a different level. Okay. Um, he, he's something special, but if you can overcome those, then you're, you're doing that, but you can't overcome them if you can't push the ball down the field. You know what I mean? So, so those were, were definitely stopping them. The other thing too, is Houston, you know, they're for some reason, will likely was getting loose on punt returns big time. I mean, obviously he had the big one that put points on the board for Houston and then he had the two fumbles. Okay. But he was running loose when he had those, you know, and, and just, you know, for a guy that doesn't handle the ball too often, you know, got him knocked out. That was another thing too to watch for is, is, you know, will, will be back there next week, you know, catching punts because he's, he's the most exciting punt returner we've had back there. And, you know, the, he did, you know, if it wasn't for those turnovers, really, you know, Houston probably runs away with this a little bit more than, than where they're at. Houston turned the ball over, overcame it, right? There's some teams that can do that and they can do it because they can score points fast because they can push the ball down the field. I just, I'll just preach it until, until everybody in this podcast uh, repeats it, right? <laughs> Well, why don't we move on to this upcoming weekend's matchups? You know, we got a couple games now. Each team has two games under their belt. We're getting a better idea of what and who each of these teams are. So when we look at game one, we have the 0-2 Seattle Sea Dragons at the 0-2 Vegas Vipers. We get to see Cashman Field hopefully somehow find a way to up his game. So hopefully that's not the discussion of a game, but we have two O and two teams here. And, you know, I look at the Vipers as a, one of the teams I thought were going to potentially make it to the championship out of the North division. I'm not seeing that right now. And I, I look at the sea dragons as a team that has actually competed. Well, for both games to some extent, right? So, are we going to be worried about the field conditions here? I mean, is it going to take away from, you know, the quality of football we're going to see from Ben DiNucci and the Sea Dragons? I mean, are, uh, what are we looking at here? Well, hopefully, you know, this again is a standalone game on Saturday at 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern. So this is the only game on, you know, football game that's going to be on at that time. So it's going to be interesting you know like i said hopefully they do something to fix cashman field looked like and hopefully there's a crowd you know um i think that could fix it too a little bit some environment would help as well when it comes to football though this is probably the most important game for well i mean every game's important you know and the next one's always the most important one but you're zero and two you can't go and three it's going to be hard to come back from that yeah. Um, and 
<laughs> yeah. And so I, I don't think, I don't think the Vipers have enough together yet. I don't think they have their offense together yet. I do think Seattle does and they can score and they can score late and they can score early. They just need to put a full game together and they haven't done that yet, both offense and defensively and special teams wise. Okay. And I think they come out and do play better here. And I just don't think the Vipers are going to have it figured out and they don't have enough on defense to carry them to stop really what Seattle's going to be able to, to do or wants to do on offense. So, you know, my pick here is, is definitely Seattle. I think I told, I said, that I felt they were the best 0-2 team. I, I still think that. So I think it's going to be the long road for the Vipers after this. So, but let's see, let's see if anything is, is proven wrong here. I think Hudley gets the start. And if he doesn't get the start, I think he gets the most of the snaps. If Perez has anything, it's a short leash. If he's lucky to have that. And that will make it enough of a wild card. But I do agree. I think it's the CLC Dragons game to lose. Yeah. And, and Michael, there's nothing worse than having a quarterback with a short leash. There's nothing great about playing. That's terrible. If a kid's got a short leash, he shouldn't be out there to begin with. So get Brett Hundley in there. Let's go. Let's stop messing around. The guy's a professional. He's been around plenty. He, he can learn a playbook in three, you know, five weeks. So get him out there, get that ball downfield, and we'll see what happens. But I still think Seattle's got a little bit of an edge here. Game two, we have the 2-0 and St. Louis Battlehawks at the 2-0 and DC Defenders. You know, we got a, another matchup in the nation's capital. I know non-football people are wondering, will we see the beer snake return and not have the lemons? But on a serious note here, we got a good football game. Absolutely. This one's going to be, there's going to be two things that this is going to be. It can go either way. And and I know that's being obvious, right? It can be a really good competitive football game, or it could be a very good defensive battle. (laughs) Okay. I don't think it's, going to be the latter I still think it'll be it'll be around what the scoring has been I think you're going to see this is going to be a great matchup AJ McCarron versus Greg Williams you know in that defense and just kind of seeing what everybody schemes up there right I mean that's that's going to be you know we're starting to see some people pull ahead as as stars right you know and and then also with the defenders, you know, how are they going to use their quarterbacks right now? And who is going to start? I mean, if, if Derek King brings that electricity, you know, and you feel that he's your best chance to win, then you got to start him. I mean, again, this is a professional football league. I, I, it, it stinks when you get benched. It stinks when you don't, you get cut, you know, but at the end of the day, it's the coaches and front office's job to make sure that these franchises win football games. So if he is your best chance, get him out there and, and ride him. Let's go. Now, I think I'm hoping that there's a great atmosphere for this because this could be one of the best atmospheres. If, if you know, DC shows up with the beer snake, I think it could be one of the best atmospheres you see uh, that we've seen this year. And um, I'm hoping that that's the case being a, being a one o'clock start out there, you know, uh, and, um, you know, being the first game of a triple header. So 
But if I was going with anybody here, I'm going with St. Louis. I'm going to ride the AJ McCarron bandwagon here for another week. And we're going to see if Greg Williams can, can outsmart him here a little bit. And that defense can make some plays, but nobody's been able to stop him, and nobody's been able to stop him late. So let's see what happens. Yeah. I don't think De'Ara King gets to start. I don't think Tiamo's done enough to lose his job. Cause even when you look at statistically in game two, there against the Vipers, he wasn't completely horrible people. The fact that they didn't lose the game despite of, you know, mistakes, right. That might have been from his time on the field. I don't think he's done enough to lose the, the starting spot. However, I do think De'Ara King has probably played himself into a larger role. So I do think we're going to probably see more of him. The question is, is how does that balance with Tiamo, right? We've seen in game one when Danucci had Montez come in for a bit, and it seemed like just enough for those couple snaps that Montez took. It seemed like just enough to take Danucci out of it. Now, does more of a role for De'Ara King mean, you know, it's going to hinder Tiamo, I don't know, but I think there's too much going on here. One, he hasn't done enough to lose it. Two, he's up against his old team, and the XFL probably just needs to play it up a little bit. I'm not saying The Rock and Danny have called and have talked to Coach Barlow and said, hey, this is what we need, but I'm just saying that I think they're not going to pull the plug anywhere here. I don't think De'Ara King has actually done enough, even though he was a spark plug, of a long term to show that he's ready to actually take the reins. So I, I don't think we see that quite yet. I do think we're going to see a heck of another performance from Greg Williams defense. And I'm really intrigued because if anything, and not to dwell on Greg Williams pass, you know, with uh, bounty gate and all that stuff, but he also gets dialed up against the competition. And seeing that A.J. McCarron is a guy that has NFL ties, whether he was a starting quarterback or not, I think he's going to be really dialed up. Like, this is the guy, the feel-good story, right, that the league is playing up. I think there could be some bulletin board material that Greg Williams uses, right? And not in a negative way. I'm just saying I, I can see this. You know, Greg is a competitor. One way or another, he's a competitor. And I could see that coming out in this game. So I think it's going to be a battle. Hopefully we get to see some offense. Well, if, if, if we're going to see offense, St. Louis is going to make, they're going to have to make a couple big plays against the blitz. All right. And AJ's going to have to stand in there like he did to touch on over the middle of the Butler and take one in the chin. But I feel like he can do that. I think last game before that, maybe he couldn't, but I think he knows, Hey, it's going to be coming a little bit more, but yeah, the competitive, I think this is going to be all high, for the competitiveness so far in the XFL. This is a big, you know, North rival that could, you know, come from this. Yeah. And if that, if that place is rocking, it's going to be a heck of a heck of a show. So, and that's what we want. Right. I mean, but yeah, they're going to have to make a couple of big plays and make Greg Williams pay for, for bringing the house and bringing extra people. It's going to be interesting. The division is on the line, right? I mean, at this point, who's going to be the top dog? And it means a lot for the Battlehawks to go home finally after this game. Can they string that third win and be leading the division? And actually, can we, you know, I've always said, fill the top just seemed like it was such a far shot. It's not going to happen. I've even put a post out there to kind of bring some expectations down, but 
St. Louis might be able to deliver, but can they deliver on this game to actually make that happen and not kind of hinder that in any way? So that'd be very interesting to see that. As far as game three, we have the 0-2 Orlando Guardians at the 1-1 Arlington Renegades. You know, you got a quarterback issue with the Guardians. You know, you've played all three on the roster. Heck, maybe they'll sign a fourth one and we could see a new face because they just are not committed to anybody. I know Paxson's the starter. At this point, I, you just don't know what you're going to see. It's probably not good. They're probably going to score 12 points if, if it's been any indicator. But Arlington is a, this other team that had been looked at as far as Bob Stoops, the Hayes brothers, a bunch of veterans. They kind of haven't quite lived up to what they have been expected, right? Now you get the bottom feeder, right? The the worst team in the league. I'm hoping, and not as a Guardians fan, I'm just hoping as a product for the XFL, that this team in Arlington finally can put it together, right? I mean, the, the Guardians are giving up 30 points a game. Over 30 points if you do their average is what 31 and a half. But Arlington has no excuse but to come out and deliver against this team. Because I mean I can't imagine Orlando's gonna fix all of their problems. Yeah, Michael, I I think 12 points might win this game. That's how I feel about the Arlington offense right now. I think if Orlando puts up 12 points, they will win this game. If Kyle Sloter is not in the game. I'm going to beat it to, to death again. Okay. I'm sorry, Drew Plitt. You need to push the ball downfield and make big plays. And you need to do that with Sal and find somebody else. Okay. Whether it's how, or, you know, one of the, you know, receivers there, but I think this is a chance for Orlando actually to, if things go right and play well defensively, I think they can get a shot or two pushing the ball downfield. I think in, you know, but if they shoot themselves in the foot, they're not going to win the game. So I think the guardians, number one, have to play a clean game, right? They can't turn the ball over. They can't have a block punt. They can't give up huge plays. Right. And if they do that, I think they can win this game because I don't think Arlington really brings anything offensively. Now, defensively, they're a little, they might be a little stout, but, but I think that Orlando might be able to get a play here and there, pushing the, you know, because Paxton has that ability to throw the ball downfield and, and get that. So, you know, I know I've been hard on the guardians here, but, you know, looking at this one and, and thinking about it right now, I, I think they got a chance this week, but I, I'm telling you, I think 12, 12 points might win it or both defenses fall apart and it's a shootout. But I think this is closer than what we think it is. I don't, maybe the Red Renegades aren't as good as we thought they were. That could very well be. The Guardians did, and this is one thing we didn't get into earlier during their game two matchup against the Brahmas, they did run the ball well. All right. That's the one thing I had said after our week one review and when we were previewing week two that the Guardians needed to run the ball and they did run the ball well. The, unfortunately, the passing game didn't deliver for them. So, you know, going back to what Coach Buckley had said during week one is that he's going to always find a way to get two quarterbacks to play each week. He's going to have a starter in a second, right? So we know that that's what he's committed to, unless he can somehow figure out that's a bad idea. We know that's what he's committed to. 
And he also mentioned how he's going to rotate who that second quarterback is. So does this mean that Francois is out and Dormady's back in? And if so, the one thing we have not seen with this team is the Guardians offering Dormady any run support. Dormady only was focused on passing the ball. If Dormady does get in the game, heck, if he shocks us and starts Dormady, all right? Dormady actually put up some decent numbers when he came in in game one against the Roughnecks, which obviously their defense looks pretty solid when you look at their statistics, right? So if he did all right against the Roughnecks and you can give him some run support, I'm just going to go on a limb. I don't know anything here, people. I don't. I no insight. Why not give Dormady the shot to start the game? I know you're sold on Paxton Lynch. He looked all right in game one. He sat. He watched another poor performance. Give him some run support. Let's see what he can do. Heck, it can't be any worse than what we're already seeing. Well, that yeah, Michael, I was just going to say that. You, you know, why not? Give it a shot. If you're really searching for a quarterback and, and you want to rotate these people, um, which, again, you know my feeling on that. I'm not not huge on it unless you're, you know, running them 15, you know, 20, 30 times a game, right? Because these games are short, right? And a quarterback needs to get in a groove. And and sometimes you're going to get in the groove early and sometimes you're going to get in the groove late. You know, it's the old adage, you know, uh, shoot to get hot and shoot to stay hot, right? You know, the old basketball knowledge there. So, yeah, but why not? I guess, you know, it doesn't hurt you. You know, it's not going to, you know, but here's the thing. The team knows who should be the starting quarterback. The players kind of know this, right? So, especially in a new team, right? These are all, they all got here at the same time. Nobody's like earned the right, right? Like nobody's earned at least the right to, to start a half, you know? They know who's winning in the practices and who's throwing the best stuff. Like they know, oh, okay, this is Pat, you know, they know. As a coaching staff, you got to get a feel for that a little bit too, because then you get the locker room, right? Who's the locker room going to follow a little bit? But hey, they can't lose any worse than they have. I, you know, I'm with you. If, if you want, start him. He can push the ball downfield. He's shown he's got an arm to do that. So I, I'm for that, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think that you, if you really, really want to be a, a good professional coach, you got to, you kind of got to find a guy and stick with them and, and believe in them. If you don't, then, then why, why is he out there? Okay. Yeah. I think they got nothing to lose by doing that as well. So they got to find the gamer, right? There's, there are some guys that practice well, and I'm not saying that the guy that practices well can't be the gamer as well, but there is one thing who seems to be well in practice, but if Paxton's Lynch is, Achilles heel is that he can't play the game for whatever reason at the professional level, right? He's been benched at every professional you know, league that he's been played in. And I, it, I, I, I disagree. I don't think he was benched. Like he wasn't benched because he was playing bad. They he just took him out to the strategy of because he wanted to rotate quarterbacks. Yeah. So anybody who's saying that's just trying to get clicks and, and beat down on Paxton Lynch. The, the truth, the truth is, is, is that kid doesn't get hurt in the USFL. He's helping Michigan's team play a lot better because he was running the ball. He was doing some great things there. And then he got hurt. 
the kid can play. I mean, he can show he can play. He can run for first downs. He can push the ball downfield. Okay. He's got a little bit of a running game. Okay. He's just got the, the, I, I, I'm sorry. He, he wound up with Jeff Fisher, Jared golf. Did you see him under Jeff Fisher compared to where he is now under McVay? And even, even Dan, Dan Campbell, who's an offensive guy. Again, we're, we can go into this whole offense and defensive head coach too thing again, and, and who's winning games and who's not. Uh, Wade Phillips is winning games, but he's also got the best OC who should be a head coach in this league soon, or is going to be an OC somewhere else soon. And AJ Smith, you know, I don't think the world has done Paxton Lynch very well. I, I Denver didn't do him very well. They had all defensive coaches and they stunk. And then they threw him in there thinking he was going to be the savior. He shouldn't have been drafted that high to begin with. He, he, I mean, I'm not saying he should have been, he, he should have been a second, third round draft choice, you know, but they reach on him. So now he's got this tag of being a first round NFL draft choice. Well, guess what? Half of those guys aren't in the league anymore. I just think he gets a bad rap, but he's, he's, he's just been on crap teams. Surrounded by bad, right now, poor coaching. I'm sorry. I don't care. I'm going to say it, you know, the and, and a bad roster. And, and that was it in the USFL and now here. I didn't even see him. I don't even watch the CFL, CFL. See, I don't even say that right. Okay. Because there's 12 guys on the field and I can't focus on 12. I'm not that smart. I can only focus on 22. Okay. 24 is too much for me. Okay. <laughs> All these guys running all over the place. Don't even get me started. Okay. Three downs. Three downs, really? Come on. All right. So anyways, love the game in Canada. Play it. That's fine. I don't watch indoor football either. So I didn't watch this coach who's mostly had success in it, you know, with six players on the field. You know, like, what are we doing? I'm not saying a Division three coach like myself can do better. I can do well at my level, I feel, and I can do well other places because I just have a sense of it's not about me. It's about them. And once you make it about you, it's over. And I'm sorry, the Guardians have made it too much about them, even though I'm picking them this week. Like I just, they drive me nuts, but I just think he's gotten a bad rap. I think if you get him consistently in 10 to eight games, without pulling them and you back them and you have that positive attitude, let's let that kid play for Anthony Beck for a year. And, and let's see what happens. Let, let's see what happens if he plays for Sean McVay for a year and let's see what happens. Like, let, let's see what happens when he's with somebody that really believes in him and can coach him and can speak his language. I'm, I know I'm from the outside in looking in, but that's all I've seen is bad coaches who have a history of coaching terrible quarterback, you know, good quarterbacks terribly that Paxton has played for. So give them those things and that kid will thrive and they're not giving them that. And, you know, that's, that's on them. And that's on the XFL right there because he can play a lot better than what he is. And, he may only complete 50% of his throws, but you know what? They're going to be downfield and they're going to be touchdowns, you know, and he can run for a first down. He can move. He can do different things. 
The guy's got all the tools. I just don't think he's been put into a system that gives him everything that he needs to do that. So again, <laughs> I'm getting on my soapbox again, a little too much on the quarterbacks, but I just so, believe that. So it starts with that position though. We always know that, right? You, you, you can't win a football game unless you have somebody that can actually play it. And it could be just somebody that can manage an offense, but somebody still has got to be able to play the position. You can't just put a, a freak athlete in there. It doesn't always turn into the W's, right? So you do need somebody. But he, if it's going to be Paxson, he needs help with getting the ball from the center to start with, right? And if it kind of comes back that Coach Matthews is, is, you know, hindering how quick the play comes in, there seems to be a bunch of pieces around here that's kind of not helping. If you need to get the play in quicker, have Coach Ford get it in. If you need to have, you know, a little bit more time so that the rhythm and is not essentially bobbling the ball, and playing catch up right from the snap. I mean, like something's not clicking there. And this is the only reason why I brought up Dormady. I don't think Lynch is foregone. Like it's not going to happen right with the offense. I'm just thinking, well, heck Dormady was clicking when he came in. The game was already rolling against a solid defense. They're already behind, but he didn't miss any beat. So I'm thinking, what the heck? He didn't have any run support. If you're giving some run support now, he did, he wasn't having any issues with it. And that might be where a couple extra weeks with the center helps out, right? You know, Lynch got in a little late. But at some point, something's got to change. And I'm just thinking, can it be Dormady for game two? Heck, the Renegades are probably not going to game plan for him anyway. You know, they're probably thinking it's going to be I mean, anything that could help you get the first W. Figure it out after that. Anything that can help you get the first W. That's why I'm saying maybe dormant. But it doesn't mean that Lynch can't do it. I just haven't seen enough out of Francois at this point to think that it would be him. So at this point, Francois is definitely the odd man out. But looking, I'm just thinking maybe Dormady could be that guy. But hey, that's just me. Lynch could still be as well. Here's the thing with the XFL and where it is right now. Okay. It needs quality quarterback play period to be successful as a league to move on to season two. Okay. If it does not see that and fans don't see quality quarterback play, they're going to turn off the TV. Now people are going to come back at me and say, well, Paxton Lynch isn't quality quarterback play. Okay. Well, I disagree. I, I thought he was fine this week. He did what he had to do with no production and a bad center snap half the time. Right. But in order to get that, you've got to be consistent and you can't just rotate these quarterbacks like this. That's not going to make any team better. It's not going to make any quarterback better right now, overall for the league. That's why I'm so against rotating the quarterbacks. They need snaps. They need to see things so that late in the year, when the eyeballs are on this league and playoffs and championships, You've got quarterbacks in there that are completing 60% of their passes, making big plays, making plays with their legs as well. Okay. So to me, that's why I'm so against like rotating and not deciding who's in that quarterback. Get a guy, get him there. Now you're going to see in a few games if he can play or not, right? We know what Drew Plitt is right now. Okay, he's dink and dunk. He's the second coming of Luis Perez right now. That's exactly what he is. Okay, that can win you some games if you've got a really good team behind you. 
but he's got to get the ball downfield. Okay. Paxton Lynch can do that. We know that. Dormandy showed flashes of that. Now, if he's the guy, then go with him. Then go with him. Right. Just this whole rotating of some guy's going to play here. You know, you need to be consistent. Brandon Silvers is, is constantly just playing his game, throwing the ball, completing things. And then we're going to randomly pull him out because we want to run Cole McDonald real quick. No quality quarterback play. Let's go. That's what this league will thrive on. That's the only thing that's going to make it last past year one, two, three, four. Now, again, in year five, if you're a low team, right, that didn't win any games maybe the year prior and you get the first round pick and you get a young guy that's a rookie and you're rebuilding your team, right, then that's a different story. Then you're going to start your rookie and you're going to be a little conservative and you know you're going to have a year. But guess what? This is year one of a league. We need fireworks and we need them now. So find the quarterbacks that can light it up and get the scoreboard lit up and let's go. Let's stop messing around with anybody else. Okay. It doesn't, I don't care if they show flashes. Let's just get the guys in there that can light the scoreboard up. Now that may be me offensive minded. Okay. But that's, what's going to get this league to, to be saved. Okay. And that's what's going to put butts in the seats. It isn't going to be seven sacks. I'd hate to tell you, you know, it's going to be, Hey, did you see, you know, Brandon Silvers throw two touchdown passes? Did you see the, you know, did you hear the coach yelling, you know, GT, GTFO, which is great. You know, did you hear that? That's what's going to get people interested in this. So Again, I'm getting on my soapbox, but, you know, again, I want the league to succeed and I want it to, to, to push forward. And every time, every year, you're in a different stage. And this is the stage we're in. So let's get the guys in there that can light the scoreboard up. That means they got to be able to complete balls down the field at every part of it. And, and I believe Brandon Silvers, Paxton Lynch, Ben DiNucci, Brent Hundley, Kyle, I believe Kyle Sloter can do that believe Jack Cohn can and AJ McCarron. So those are the guys I would start. Let's go throw it out there and let's go. Okay. The guardians may lose a game, but you know what? At least Paxton might throw three touchdowns, you know, and throw for 250 yards, which would be almost, that's all, see, almost sounds impossible in this league with a running clock. So just let's just light it up. That's all I got. I got to say the XFL needs quarterbacks in there that can light it up. Last but not least, game four. Yeah, take a breath. I'm trying to just give you give you a chance to take a breath. You're good. You're good. Game four, man. We have the one and one San Antonio Brahmas at the two and zero Houston Roughnecks. You know, Houston's really catapulted themselves from one of the worst teams from the sports books odds to actually one that a lot of people think are are the team. And you know, you were one of the guys who didn't think this team was going to be that bad from the, the get-go. And, you know, you're high on silvers, and we know the defense appears to be clicking pretty well. So, you know, looking at this game, not not the bash of the Brahmas, but seeing that they're also at home, I mean, heck, I mean, how, how do you go against Houston here? This is going to be a good game. This is, you know, it's a good time slot for this one. Uh, you know, ESPN 2. So, like I said, yeah, I mean, 
I'm high on, on Brandon Silvers and AJ Smith together. Right. I wasn't high on Brandon Silvers and Jim Zorn. I think he can definitely, you know, he's definitely going to keep things in, in perspective. I think Houston's defense is, is going to be the difference maker here. Jack Cohn is steady as they get, and that's what you're going to get out of him. And hopefully he can, you know, make some plays for him. You know, he's found some playmakers in his, you know, in his receivers. He's getting some chemistry going. Can their run game kind of be reestablished? Because they, they had a nice running attack week one as well, you know, and can, can can they control the ball? So I have a feeling, you know, San Antonio controls the ball a little bit more, but can they put points on the board? So when they're getting down in the red zone and when they have field goal attempts, right, we've seen missed field goals play a big difference in, in these games. Um, they're usually early misses or early makes. Um, and then obviously this week we had a, a walk off, you know, means, you know, I think, you know, they have a chance, but I, I think Houston pulls still pulls this out, you know, unless the wheels fall off, unless they turn the ball over and, and we'll have to see. I think one of the, the question marks is will, will likely be returning punts for Houston if he is, and can he make an explosive play again? Can he be consistent doing that and hang on to the football? So I, but I think just with the roughnecks defense, this one kind of leans towards them a little bit more, but San Antonio has got a shot They, you know, the definitely, I mean, their defense hasn't played terrible. We just don't talk about them a lot. Right. Um, and that's part of me being more offensive minded, but I'm looking forward to this one. I think this is going to be really good. This is going to be a good rival game. I think in the future as well. As we see, I think Houston's in the South. Am I right? All the Texas teams are in the South, correct? Um, it's it's all Texas and the Guardians. The Guardians. So I mean, that's a you know that's going to be a battle for those top two spots there. So every game that you can win, uh, you know, against e- you know each other is is uh, definitely important. Which is great. You know, conference games are always important. So um, I, I think the Roughnecks pull this one out. I think they're just too good. I think they're clicking, you know, on, on all cylinders other than turning the ball over on special teams, but they'll get that fixed. Um, I will likely is too much of a veteran to let that, you know, happen again. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm, I'm taking the roughnecks here and, and I'm not going to backpedal on that at all, but I do think San Antonio has actually played well back to back games and getting the win on your belt on the road while you go to play another game on the road, not in front of your home fans. I mean, like, technically everyone's traveling, but when you kind of get that, it also, one, it confirms what they believe in themselves. We're winners. Two, we could do it on the road. Doesn't matter where we travel. Three, now you got this other Texas rivalry. I don't know how much the players are going to buy into that, but I do think you're going to see some San Antonio fans making the trek up to, up to Houston. So how much does that, pack you know the roughnecks stadium i would love to see that on tv and see how that's gonna you know those texas teams are gonna impact one another and uh, i didn't get to watch the game with uh you know the renegades at the roughnecks but my understanding was only a slight tick up in attendance which is kind of a little disappointing there from me and i'm sure a lot of people that had hoped there were more fans would make the trek from arlington but either way 
I think San Antonio is a different thing. We just saw 24,000 people in week one. I think we saw the lines that were backed up after the game was even done, even after they had just lost, buying merch. I would not be surprised that this is going to be a very invested fan base. So that could help push the Brahmas to really be, you know, more competitive than I would think. Because sometimes that traveling support just kind of players vibe off it a little bit. I know I played college sports. I know I played in high school, various sports. Anytime you kind of had more following, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, But can it also be that Houston's just played at home and had their fans so much that so it just starts to lose that Coach Phillips is back in Houston vibe after a while. Just get, all right, this is business as usual. If they have a slight letdown, you know, we know that San Antonio is now moving in the right direction. So I still think it's Houston's game to lose, but, you know, it's going to be a good game. And I, I'm looking forward to tuning into it. Yeah, so far that's what's nice. I mean, you know, the games are pretty, pretty solid competitively, um, you know, um, except for maybe a few here and there. But I think this week we're going to, we're definitely going to see some sense of urgency out of some teams, right? Because you're, you know, you got the 0 and 2 matchup, you got the 2 and 0 matchup, you got the, you know, the Guardians got to make a, they got to make a move now if they're going to make a move. And, and, you know, so I think you're going to see a little bit more sense of urgency as we go because the, the, you can still turn your season around, right? You know, if you, if you get one W in week three, and you can definitely, uh, like I always say, it's better to get hot late and get hot early. So we're going to see who gets hot late. So, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I think I, you know, express more of my opinion this week in the last couple uh, podcasts. Uh, so uh, again, uh, I hope you can hear the, you know, the passion and that I have for the game and, and enjoy talking about it. So. I said something you didn't like, oh, that's fine. I'm okay with it. But if I said something you like, then I hope it resonates. I, I hope you understand that too. But uh, we're just trying to support this league by, you know, I'm on this podcast to, to try and do that. So, yeah. So hopefully great week is, of games. Sunday's going to be a long day, you know, three games. So it's going to be fun though. When you want something so bad, the XFL is delivering it. You just got to tune into it. You got to make sure you have the spread out, right? You can almost treat it like the Super Bowl. You got three professional games. It's almost like when the NFL has those games over in London. You got the early game, the one, the four o'clock, or, you know, the NFL has Sunday night football. This is the XFL's version of that, except for it's only three versus four, four games in one day. But it can be what we want it to be we we have it we have football we have the season is in full swing now game three i think at some point it's no longer early you talk about you get hot late well at what point is that late now right and is it week three is it week four it's only a 10-week season right right i i think in a in a 10-week season i think it's about you got after about week three, you, you know, you better make your move if you're not doing so well. Otherwise, it's going to be a long year. Uh, but, you know, it, anything can happen, right? You know, you can go 0 and 5 and win five games and maybe sneak into that last playoff spot by beating some conference opponents. 
in, in, you know, beating the right teams at the right time too. Right. Sometimes that, that happens. So it's going to be exciting. We're going to, we're going to see what happens here. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just look for, look for the quarterbacks that are pushing the ball down the field and, and not turning it over and not making mistakes and, and making big plays because that's where it's going to come out to here as, as we move forward. Well, Mark, as always, it's a pleasure. I know you're kind of getting into this a little bit more, you know, you're going to feel more comfortable with the podcast as it happens, you know, with each week. So don't sweat it too much. You know, yes, there's going to be people who are going to have their takes on our takes. It's going to happen. You know, we're not experts, as we've said, you're an enthusiast. I know I never played the game at the high school level or college level, obviously. But sure as I'll never played it professionally. And I've never coached it, so I am a fan. I am somebody that has followed it very closely, whether it's been season ticket holder, you know, with arena teams or college teams, and obviously with now two iterations of the XFL. So it is what it is, people. We all have our opinions, but tuning in, hopefully we are getting into what people like to hear discussed, hear some different opinions, and just insight, right, and look at things a little bit different and, like you know, that's what's going to kind of happen here. And if a coach is listening, you know, hopefully we're not bagging on somebody too hard and we're not praising somebody too hard, but there, there are some work that needs to be done out there and hopefully we get to see it because the product does need to improve in certain areas because fan bases, it wasn't too lively in Orlando. Right. I know they were trying to do some unique things. It just wasn't all that accepted by the fan base. So if we keep, getting bad performances by the Orlando team. I don't know what the attendance will look like later in the season. I know I'm not making it to a couple of games. I got a wedding and a bachelor party. I got to attend. So at some point they're going to have to draw people in, not lose who they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're going to, they, they do have to, you know, grow and work on growing and uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and, you know, hopefully, you know, things will continue to, progress isn't always linear as i say so there are going to be ups and downs as you go you know but uh hopefully this week we'll we'll see some good games hopefully people will be you know watching and uh in attendance and we'll get some great atmospheres well mark why don't you put yourself out there a little bit again just so you can get some of that feedback on your feedback uh, just remind some people we might have a couple you know new listeners tuning in for the first time so if they want to follow you where can they do so uh, at Twitter, uh, so it's at Mark underscore Halbach. That's H-A-L-B-A-C-H. So it's uh, just, that's all I really am on. It, you know, I do follow other things, but I try to keep those to my uh, personal aspect. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to follow me, sometimes I will tweet some things out. I try not to during the game because I want to watch the game and be involved in the game and not be... Um, swayed by what somebody is saying on Twitter. I want to have my own opinion. Um, so I try not to do that, you know, live too much. Uh, but, uh, sometimes I will, you'll catch me there. And, and if you ever catch me during a Packer game, you will get the explosive mark out of that. So, uh, I get a little crazy fanatic, right? Fan is short for fanatic. Get a little fanatical during Packer games. So. Well, perfect. Thank you, Mark, and I look forward to catching up with you next week. All right, Michael, you take care and have a great week.
You as well. As always, I appreciate Mark's insight and time. Teams are beginning to show their identities and what they are made of. Whether it be good, bad, or ugly, we will continue to cover the league and its teams in a very real manner. Mark and myself share a similar mindset in which we cover the league, and that is that we want to be a builder and support its growth. However, it is important to be honest and cover the league without handpicking an overly positive narrative. Therefore, we will discuss the topics that must be covered. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.